I always love to see these stories of generational companies that survive the retirement of the original founder. And they're able to continue going, continue growing, thriving. And oftentimes that happens through family ties. They get passed down to children and they don't always succeed. We all know that. So that's why I love to see these stories where they are succeeding and where they are thriving. And today's guest is a perfect embodiment of that. We have Kyle Diamond on the podcast. Kyle is a partner with New Dimension Construction, which was started by his father, Dale Diamond, almost 50 years ago. And they operate in New York State, where they have a very loyal client base and a really exceptionally run company. So we've got a lot to learn from Kyle. We had a fantastic interview that I'm excited to share with you guys. And as always, I hope you enjoy it. Well, Kyle, first of all, I appreciate you guys, or I appreciate you joining us on uh, on this this episode. You, we've got um, another guest from David Gristel, another recommendation from him. He seems to always be sending us uh, wonderful builders to visit with. And uh, you've got a really interesting business and business model uh, up north. Let's just start with a little background on you and your business. Sure, absolutely. Glad to uh, glad to talk with you here today, Jared. Um, so, I'm third generation uh, in construction at this point in time. Um, through my mom's side, my grandfather was in construction. Uh, my father actually did work for a, a short period of time for my grandfather, but uh, in any event, my father uh, started his own company in in '85, and then in '90 one started new dimension construction and then i joined uh, new dimension uh, the next year when i graduated from high school so i've been been here for almost 30 years just about 30 years now um so as far as the you know typical i think child of a contractor uh summers working on the job sites and uh uh, no, we don't do that any longer. I don't think uh, our workers' comp could handle that notion. But <laughs> <laughs> better, better that way, right? Back in the '80s, uh, people didn't seem to worry so much. Um, but anyhow, so that's that's sort of my my history. Uh, came up, I was in the worked in the field for about oh 20, 22 years. I spent in the field exclusively, and then about the last eight or nine years, I have been out of the field and managing the business and tell us a little bit about y'all's focus in the business and type of um type of clients and projects that you guys take on sure so in, in the past you know we, we got started or when i came into the business we were mostly doing new construction uh we kind of we, we moved on from that as land became a little more difficult and you had a lot more larger builders um you know, local larger builders that has translated into, you know, national companies now, but back then it was just larger local companies. So we kind of moved away from that heavy upfront cost 
and we moved into remodeling. We did mostly renovation work and we did a lot of historic uh, restoration work. Uh, we have a lot of old homes from the uh, 1800s in our area. Um, we're, we're about an hour and a half north of the city, New York City. Uh, so we found ourselves doing a lot of that work. Um, then gradually in the last few years, um, with the inventory of existing properties, very scarce, uh, we've recently we've kind of gotten back into new construction again. So we have a couple we have a new construction project going right now and a complete full gotten renovation um, project going as well. So we, we still do, we still do both. Okay. And your company structured, you got you and your father, is your father still working in the company? Yes. Yes. My, my, my father's, uh, he'll be, he'll be 70 this summer, but his passion really still is the craft so he, right now, I think he's, he's working in the shop, uh, doing uh, building an armoire, uh, building a custom set of bunk beds for some clients. Uh, so that's, that's really what, what he likes to do. So he has, you know, dialed back the, the hours that he works a little bit, but, but yeah, he's still, he's still part of the company. Uh, I'd say most of our, to answer your previous question, most of our clientele is city-based. So these are either second homes or... <laughs> With everything going on, they've become uh, primary residences. Uh, but I'd say, for the most part, that's our ideal client. Okay. And the structure of your company, can you walk us through that a little bit? So you've got yourself, your dad, who else do you have on your team? And what's like the kind of structure and the roles? Sure, sure. So um, in the office, um, I have an office manager that's full time. Um, I have someone that does. Uh, marketing and maintains the website uh, a couple two days a week uh, and then my mom actually does the uh, the bookkeeping uh, paying bills dealing with you know all the insurance requirements and audits and things like that so that's and then of course myself I'm 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 in the office um, but then in the field uh, I have uh, two lead carpenters uh, that also that function in that lead carpenter role, they they function as the project manager, a working project manager on site. Uh, so, so, I, so your lead carpenters are the ones that are scheduling, overseeing quality control on site, overseeing any sort of subcontractors or trades that need to come on. They're handling that aspect of the business. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'll, I will back them up. Um, just because of on the estimate side, because uh, all of our work is pretty custom. I mean, it's, these days there's very, very little that isn't a special order. Uh, so I'll handle those long lead items. I will get that figured out and resolved. And then uh, Kim in the office, she will also take care of some of that ordering. But the day-to-day -day stuff, either either of the lead carpenters, they will they will handle the on-site. And then the communication with the designer, the architect, the homeowner, the subcontractors, and just kind of mesh all of that together. Okay. And you're leading sales. So you're on, you're the, on the client facing side. Who's doing estimating and purchasing? Is that you? Uh, yes. Yes. So I'll do the estimating. I do a lot of purchasing, but then, um, you know, Kim is, is, is doing a lot of, a lot of the purchasing, um, 
prior to her, I had another woman in here that did a bit more of that purchasing. And so we're just working with uh, Kim to get her up to speed on just the technical nature of this business. And it's, you know, I think you'll probably experience the same thing where orders come in and things are incorrect on the, you know, on oh, the, yeah. on the, <laughs> right. So if you don't check things over very carefully, you're going to end up okaying the wrong product. So just helping her kind of know what to look for. Yeah. All right. Got it. And then on the shop side, you referenced that your dad's in the shop doing work. Do you guys do all of your millwork internal? No, we'll do, we'll do, a, it depends on the finish. That's sort of, so if you want, you know, a lot of our finishes on our, our cabinetry these days is, you know, spray lacquer. So that's, that's not what, what I want to do. So we're going to do built-ins and things like that. Uh, bookcases, little armoires, thing along those lines, uh, things that are going to be site painted. I gotcha. Okay. So that's kind of the level of millwork. Plus, we run into a lot of custom profiles because we're looking at uh, we have older older homes, so the trim profiles you can't just go buy off the shelf. You can't order, so we'll do a yeah. lot of custom profiles. We'll mill those in the shop as well. I gotcha. Okay, and you got a cabinet provider that'll do a lot of the spray lacquer finishes and things like that. Yeah. I have a couple, I have two local mill workers that I, that I work with for those items. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, so one of the things that you and I talked about in a previous conversation that I think would be enlightening for, uh, for audiences to talk a little bit about builder trend, because we use builder trend. A lot of our audience does you do as well. Let's visit on that right now. What do you guys use Builder Trend for? Um, what are what are some of the bigger uses that you guys get out of it, and what do you not use? So I would say pretty all of our projects, uh, no matter how small they are, they they all run through Builder Trend. Uh, one of the so internally the crew uh, they're all familiar with Builder Trend. Um, they use the the crew, the crew members, uh, I, I didn't really, we didn't really talk about that much, but I've also, in addition to the, the leads, I've also got um, six, six guys in the field as well. Um, so they're, they're using Builder Trend and they're, um, they're adding photos and description if needed, but they're putting that in through the daily log feature of Builder Trend. So under, uh, just looking at it here. Under the project management schedule tab, you have daily logs. And so they're they're uploading photos. So part of that, you know, obviously we use for marketing, use for the website, uh, but also allows us in the office to gauge progress, potentially see if there's any minor issues via a photo. So we like we like that feature a lot. The scheduling side, I think, is just invaluable. I uh, can't even imagine how I did this before without this. Um, lots of notes, but it was very imperfect. So what I really like about the scheduling feature is that for one thing, you're, it helps you to kind of see what you might have missed otherwise, just completely forgotten about. Um, you're also able to overlap. So, so very often we're using the same subcontractor for multiple jobs. So to be able to make sure that we're not trying to slip my my lead carpenters aren't trying to schedule the same crew for the same week is helpful. Um, and then beyond, no. go ahead. 
so on your scheduling, are you using, there's a lot of different ways to build a schedule and build a trend. You can go with like a really basic kind of milestone oriented schedule that just kind of shows generally how the project's tracking, or you can go, you know, full Monty where you're, you've got almost every single um, task and uh, event that could go into a project sequenced. So you got like, you got a spectrum of how you can use it. How detailed do you guys go with your schedules? I would say I probably fall somewhere in the middle of what you described. Um, I, I would say broad, broad, you know, on like a six, eight month project. Um, I, I'm trying to be really good for a month and then beyond it's close, but I'm also trying to put every, everything in there. Um, delivery dates for certain long lead items. You know, now when you're looking at 12, a 12 week lead uh, time on a custom door, you almost forget when you ordered it. So we'll put that in there and then we, we will put the specific uh, tasks. And then the other thing I'm working with my subcontractors with now and, and my lead carpenters is putting, better, putting a better time window for a particular task. So how long is it going to be to rough in the electric? How long is the plumbing going to take? How long is the, the geothermal going to take? Uh, trying And then what's happening to us, as I'm sure is happening to you, it feels like some years, not that many years ago, a uh, subcontractor would come, they would do everything at the rough for the rough phase, and they would go. Well, unfortunately, because we're all, we all seem to be a little overcommitted at the moment, they, they can't seem to do that as well as we used to. So it's requiring um, just kind of sometimes instead of just one block of time, there's maybe a couple couple extra visits. Yeah, <laughs> a little overcommitted is a euphemism. <laughs> That's for sure. At least in our part of the world, we got a lot of people that are uh, are very overcommitted and and definitely think that to your point, having these schedules help uh, help people help keep people on track uh, a lot better who is in charge of maintaining the schedule so is that your lead carpenter that has responsibility for keeping them up to date uh, truthfully uh that is my goal for them to do that at the moment um mostly it's me that's updating that schedule um kim helps out a little bit with the schedule as well but uh, the the I would say my goal for Builder Trend two two big things is getting getting the lead carpenters to 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 do more than just having their paper schedule and actually you know jumping into Builder Trend more so. And I have two subcontractors right now. The I would say primarily my HVAC plumbing, which is the same company, uh, different divisions, and my electrician who actually use Builder Trend and well. And so having them communicate via Builder Trend is probably my next step. The other thing I didn't mention was we also use the document feature, uh, files under the files tab. Uh, we use that extensively. Uh, we, we're looking to put all of the documents, plans, specs, all of that in there. And then that's broken up you know, by discipline in essence so that you know 
our, our guys on site, as well as the subcontractors on site, they also have access to that. And so if there's any, if for some reason, we also, we try to provide printouts on site, but if that, if that, you know, fails or it didn't get there or something changed, at least builder trend is, the goal is that builder trend is always current. Are you guys having good luck getting your trade partners to join in on the system and uh, <laughs> respond? Because that, that to me, the most overriding comment that we always get and hear in our different groups is that right there. I mean, I think, you know, largely get good feedback on Builder Trend. We personally like it a lot, but if there's one challenge with the system, it's that right there. It's subcontractor adoption and implementation what what i'm finding is i have been frustrated by that for a while and so i'm trying a new tactic <laughs> what i'm trying to do is is speak with or have my lead carpenter speak with and then you know and then and then modify the schedule but speak with the trade partner and actually uh, get them to kind of commit to two things, get them to commit to a, a, a rough timeline. Like when, when can you get here for this? This is when we're going to be ready for you. And then the second piece of it is um, how long, you know, is, you know, I can think whatever I think about it, but I, I wouldn't know if they're going to send me one guy or four guys, that's up to them. So getting them to do that. So having that pre-conversation so that when I send over the schedule confirmation, instead of them sitting on it for a week or two or never responding at all, which is what was happening, because they're like, well, you know, you just picked this date and you just expect me to drop everything and be there. Uh, it's working better now. I'm, I'm getting them to confirm because we've kind of had a quick conversation already. Okay. Yeah, you know, I think that... Uh... One of the best ways to, if you are going to communicate with your subcontractors through Builder Trend, what I found that one of the best ways is to just, you, you have to completely commit to it with them or have them commit and say, listen, this is just everybody. You know, we are just we're requesting that everybody get on this system, set up their account or user with it so that they can do their bids through this and they can receive schedule updates on it. And it's just almost like an all or nothing thing that seems like is the winning formula and we have not done it yet we thought all right we got pushback from a few of our guys that say you know i don't want to i don't want to set up this username for you guys are the only people that we work with that use this and we just don't want to have this weird uh this weird bidding system or communication system with you guys that we don't do with anybody else and kind of put us in a spot where we think, okay, well, we can just say, well, we're going to go get somebody who is more minimal and, and willing to work with us or, you know, uh, you guys have to join in. And we just decided we have uh, in our implementation of builder trend, that's something we just haven't yet come to. We thought, all right, there's a lot of easier things for us to get up and running before we um, before we make a hard decision on that. So right now we don't have really any trade partner communication through builder trend. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a process truthfully. Right. I mean, you, you will get pushed back. Um, and that's why for me, I think I'm just, 
I think, and I this is more or less said this. It, once you once you get the buy-in, once they start to see the value, I, I mean, I just talked to my sheet rocker a few minutes ago, and I don't think I'll ever get him to buy into this. Just it's just his personality, and he and he he was like, <laughs> he says, uh, schedule ah. He goes, that's just <laughs> a rough idea. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. It's just, but the funny thing about this, the sheetrocker is, you know, pretty much if I give him a week, week or two notice, he'll always maneuver things and get to my job site. <laughs> so, yeah, eh, yeah, I, I totally agree with your point. Nothing is, nothing is ever easy in this business. No. It took me, it took me about 10 years to finally have to come to terms with that. <laughs> Um, all right. Before we move off Builder Trend, anything else that you guys find particularly useful with it? Do you use it for your job costing? I do not use it for job costing. Um, no. So, what are you, are you using QuickBooks Desktop for job costing? Uh, we do, we use QuickBooks Online. Okay. QuickBooks Online has some real deficiencies with their job costing, but my understanding is it's gotten a lot better recently. Are you guys pleased with the way that it's working? Oh, I'm, I'm, I misunderstood. Um, no, no I, I, I pull out uh, out of QuickBooks and then I have my own um, Excel program. Oh, I got you. Okay. That I'm, that I'm running the job costing on. As far as that. Where does it fall, um, GP, things like that. I understand. All right. Got it. Um, let's move on to the next topic because I. I want to get through small uh, point, um, Jerry. Yeah. I do also like it for the client interface. Again, a lot of our clients are in the city, so they're able to see progress photos. Um, I have communic one client in particular. We were communicating back and forth via um, via Builder Trend, and and I think the final thing is, oh yeah, we also put all the invoices in there, so they can they can pop in there and they can you know just keep track of what they paid us. So you run invoices and change orders through Builder Trend, and your clients sign through that. Is that right? Well, we still use QuickBooks for that, but at least the record of the invoice. Uh, oh, okay. At least, yeah, it's all organized. We'll we'll file it in Builder Trend, but no, we don't use the pay side of Builder Trend or the that approval yeah. side for I see. things like that. I see. Okay. Can your client see the construction schedule and see the updates as you guys update it? Yes, which is a double-edged sword, but yes, they can. Right. Well, that was gonna <laughs> that was the path that I was leading us down because I'm curious about that. So, yeah, it is a double-edged sword. How do you guys manage the what's the what's the word the drama that might ensue whenever they see the schedule moving every week or whatever, and presumably pushing out a little bit. Well, what I try to do up front with the clients is to tell them that, uh, you know, this is like wrestling a gorilla. <laughs> uh, you know, you're you're not going to win, um, but it's far better than 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 basically driving with your eyes closed, right? So, you know, having no schedule is like driving a vehicle with your eyes closed. Uh, if you have no target, therefore, yeah, you're you're never wrong, but uh, it also leads to a tremendous level of frustration, I think, for our clients. So I explain it as this is an imperfect schedule. Uh, we're going to do the best we can. Uh, we're going to dial some things in for you. 
you'll have a rough sense of what's going on. Yes, the schedule will move. Uh, yes, there will be delays, but what I at least they don't think you're going to finish two, three months sooner than you're actually going to finish. Yeah. And you just hit the nail on the head. It's all about setting those expectations up front. And if you can explain to people up front, there will be delays. This is going to move a lot over the course of a year or however long it's going to take. And you can set those expectations up front. Then you have a lot fewer difficult conversations during construction. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about something that you do that I think every builder needs to do. That's you charge for your estimates. Can you walk us through your process? Sure. So basically, um, different people call it different things. <laughs> um, what I call it is a work scope agreement. Uh, basically, I, I would say so in terms of the process, uh, we explain up front to leads that come in. Uh, in fact, uh, Kim does this when she uh, you know, is vetting the lead, the phone call, getting information. Um, we mentioned to them that, you know, we don't we don't approach the estimate process the way most companies do. We explain that in an estimate, if you look at the definition of it's a, it's a rough approximation. Right. I mean, that's what an estimate is. So do you want a rough estimate for a very, very large project or would you like a fixed price? Uh, would you like to know what your scope of work is very clearly? Uh, and then do you want to know some breakdowns, uh, major trade breakdowns? Uh, do you want to know what those things cost, what your overall cost is anticipated to be? Um, for folks that don't, the pushback is, well, I can get five companies to, to give me a free estimate, or the, my favorite is no one charges for estimates because it's not true. Um, even in our area, it's certainly not true. Uh, we just inform them, again, we go back to what an estimate is, and we go back to the fact that it's, if, you, if you want something that you can really be confident in, uh, that this is our process. And, and then I, we also explain, depending on the size of the project, it's between, between one and 2% of the estimated budget. So what I will do is I will, after they're agreeable to this process, I will offer to go to their site. Um, sometimes I can even do rough things over the phone, but typically if they're, if people are usually for it or against it and they can't even, they can't hide how they feel about it. So if they're for it, I will go to their site. I will talk about their project. I will look over things. And then if, if it's a job that I can look at, like for, for sure, like a bathroom renovation, a kitchen renovation, I'll give them a rough approximation on site, um, a ballpark number, um, range potentially. If it's a much larger, if it's a larger renovation where I need to really sit down for a few minutes to think about it, um, then I'll go back to the office, spend an hour or so, think about the price, and then get back to them, let them know what the uh, what the cost might be. Um, for a large project, I might charge a couple thousand to put together uh, an estimate. It's really not about the money. Um, none of it is. Not the not four hundred dollars. If if that's for a smaller project, it's not about that money. That money to me is it's inconsequential in the sense that it's not a profit center. <laughs> It's certainly not paying for my time really, uh, but what it is to me is it's buy-in. So once you hand somebody money, 
you have commitment. Um, so they're committing, they're, they're committing to my way of doing business. They're committing to my process. We're at least like-minded to that point. Uh, and then it's somebody that I feel that we can, we can work with and they, they see the value in it. They see the value in what we do, the fact that we are professionals and that we belong getting paid for our compensated to a degree for our time. Yeah, you, we do something really similar and we have the exact same mentality about why we do it. It's not the money probably doesn't even really cover our full time or opportunity cost of putting something together. Although, as I'm sitting here, hearing myself say that out loud, it really should. But um, that aside for a second, it's really about the it's about the commitment, is it not? It's about having people commit to you. Um, and there's this amazing concept in human psychology that says we, we really were so averse to loss as a species <laughs> that uh, it's a big motivating force. So I, I don't mean to uh, sound manipulative here because we don't want to do that. We want to serve our clients. But if uh, when you're taking a deposit from somebody for uh, this pre-construction work, you are creating uh, a really good winning formula to uh, to probably win the contract eventually, as long as you take care of them and, uh, and do your part during construction, because people are already feeling invested with you and they don't want to feel like they're losing that by switching course later on. Yeah, I think the, the, the big thing too is, is this, is the, the buy-in, obviously, as you mentioned, but almost equal or more so is it, it's a way for me to weed out leads. So there are people that you will never work for. And I want to get there before I ever show up on site. And, and my, my thinking is, is as our, our time is limited, so our, our time is our most valuable commodity. Um, you can't get it back. Um, <laughs> you can only manipulate your schedule so much. So if I can cut down drastically on the number of phone calls that I have to follow up on, the number of appointments I have to go on, um, the number of even ballpark estimates that I have to do, forget about full-blown estimates, um, I wanted to cut that number down as small as possible so that I can devote my time to the ones that I'm pretty much gonna work for. And then the other byproduct of that is for the most part, since it, your close rate goes through the roof. And that way, by the time I'm involving my trade partners, my, sub, my subcontractors, um, they know that I'm not just bidding everything that comes across my desk. And so they tend to take these, the, their estimates <laughs> um, much more seriously and I'll, I get them back more quickly. Yeah, you weed out the tire kickers like what you just said you take care of your trade base better if you're not going and bidding a million projects a year and just blowing up your trade base with yep. requests for bids on things that are low probability yep. yeah it, it's a win-win all around um and one of the things that you touched on i mean you you get rid of the bottom feeders and that's not the type of people we're going to be working for anyway and that's i mean it of some of the impact that I hope to have with this podcast and with trying to do my part to 
educate our community a little bit. It's this right here. It's charging for our work up front um, because the more of us that can be doing that, the more pressure we put on these. Uh, I hate to, I mean, it, this is, we're all in the trenches together. This is a brotherhood and the way I see it, you know, we, what we do, but there, we still got some bad apples in our community. And I, I don't think, honestly, I think it's usually not because they're bad people. I think they just, they don't know how to run their business well. And so they resort to this downward spiral of just yeah. putting in unrealistic low bids and it doesn't help anybody. No. And this, that's one thing that more people, the more people that can start doing that, the more we help the industry and we help each other um, get paid a fair wage and a fair profit for what we're doing. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, good stuff. Let me ask you on, on that front, what about deposits? How do you guys do deposits with your, with your clients? Do y'all ask for a certain percent up front? For, for the work scope agreement? No. Once you sign the contract, oh, are you guys. Oh, okay. Understood. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one. This is sort of, I guess, maybe a two-part answer. So as I start seeing, as I start booking work further out, that's sort of an interesting one. I have a project now that they're looking for me to commit to in, I think we're talking mid-October right now is when they would like to start. Um, and that's, that's really, it's a pretty hard start date because I, I really can't start any later than that in order to get it closed in before winter. So I was speaking with the architect a couple of days ago and we're meeting tomorrow morning. And basically what I'm looking for is a commitment. And I said to, I said to the architect, I, I don't really want the money, uh, but I just want them to know that they're committed to me. Um, so that's, that's sort of a newer one for me. Uh, as far as my typical down payments, if you will, I think we talked about this a little bit bef before, um, pretty much, how I'm structuring my contracts and my payment schedules is I used to probably do what most people do is I did milestone payments, uh -huh. which I'm still paying. I'm paying all my, my subcontractors, trade partners. I'm paying them based on milestones. Uh, but the difference is, is I want to have the money to pay myself and to pay them. And yeah. so basically how I structure it is smaller down payments, and then as soon as we're moving into the construction phase, so it's a, it's a fairly small down payment from what I would traditionally get for large, larger projects, but then I'm doing milestone or not, excuse me, I'm doing um, uh, percent complete payments. Yeah. So basically what I'm doing is I'm billing approximately the first and 15th of every month. So every two weeks, I'm, you know, I, I obviously I, tie it in with, you know, the calendar. So depending on how it falls, it doesn't perfectly, but basically they're getting two invoices a month and then it will correct to the point where the percentages do reflect reality for slower paying clients. I push the percentages a little higher <laughs> uh, for people who pay me a little more quickly. I keep it a little tighter to what the actual percentages are. Um, okay. No retainage. Well no retainage, right? Yeah. I don't think any builder should ever accept retainage because as most all of us are small business owners, that's a, just a, a, a death row. Right. So uh, yeah, I, I'm not a fan at all of retainage. I understand maybe on larger commercial contracts, but for us, there's better ways to do it. I think retainage is, um, 
it's unfair to the builder primarily because even in this percent complete situation that I'm highlighting, technically speaking, except for the very beginning of the job, I'm technically always behind no matter what. I'm just less behind than I would with milestone payments. Right. The way that you're doing it with, I think that's a really good billing system when you, if you can do set draws the first and 15th of the month, that's a really good uh, way to handle it. And then you're just billing for percent complete that way. Again, like we talked about earlier, you're setting expectations with the clients so they know what and when to expect it. And you are, you're having to pay your contractors, presumably, you know, whatever your pay cycle is with them every week or two. So you're aligning your receivables and your payables a lot more closely the way you're handling it. And, and typically I'm ahead because it takes us truthfully, it takes the, the subcontractors just a little longer typically to process their invoices. So they're usually more behind. <laughs> yeah. But therefore I'm, I'm, but I'm holding their money already. And so again, you know, my mom can't, can't barely let an invoice from a, sub, a subcontractor sit more than a couple of days before it's out the door. Sure. So our turnaround time on um, accounts, accounts payable is almost immediate. It's within a day or two, most, most often. Yeah. So as a result, you get a lot more loyalty from your subcontractors that by paying them rapidly, as opposed to doing what our clients unfortunately do to us all too often, which is hold money uh, to leverage us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's some really good, uh, that's some really good, what's the word, relationship capital to deploy mm -hmm. in, in this environment where we got a lot of trade partners who are overcommitted and have more work than they know what to do with. So the guys that are taking care of them, taking care of them and paying them faster, yeah. that, that's always going to help uh, leverage that relationship. So good move, especially if you can do so and not be taxing your own payables process and having to float money. So if you can, through a combination of doing more frequent and faster draws with your clients and then, and then also some level of uh, uh, deposit, that's, I think, like, uh, that's a real winning formula. I always see, for the most part, like 5 to 10% deposits mm -hmm. um we've done five for a long time we went on we've been on the low end but yeah. one point is because things are taking a long time right now um in this in this covid era and just with the housing boom uh we're pushing our deposits up to at least six i may go up to seven percent now mm -hmm. and i think every builder needs to consider raising their deposits right now because the longer things are taken, the longer it takes to do work, the more you got to float, the longer you got to float. And it just helps, uh, it helps offset that a little bit. And on top of that, I don't know what you guys are seeing, but here, like, we've never had to do deposits for our appliances up until recently. So for years now, we just pay for appliances when they were delivered. And now our appliance company is saying, well, Things are completely changing because with COVID, appliances got hit so hard. 
and we're having to order things well in advance and we're going to go out of business if we follow our practice of old we've got to start charging deposits to our clients which i understand so we start having more things like that that are playing into our business so that to me just says that uh builders need to really keep a close eye on deposits and how much they're charging to get those and uh and then like what you just said a really solid draw schedule so the other thing with the percent complete as well right it levels that so regardless of and i agree with you regarding deposits for sure uh but if what what i'll explain to the, the clients as well is that because of the lead times i'm ordering things months sooner than i ordinarily would have and so how i'm handling that is a lot of the specialty lighting and and appliances and things like that uh we're pretty much paying for at the time of order. So I had some lighting, a bunch of lighting on this one project in particular. I think the lighting was 20, it was between 25 and 30,000. Um, and we, and half of it took three months plus to, to arrive. So what, what I did is as soon as it was ordered, as soon as I paid for it, I invoiced for it. So I'm collecting to your point about not being strung along. I'm, I'm collecting for all of these things as I go. Yeah. Wonderful way to do things. What about your contract? So I think you mentioned before that you do a little bit of a hybrid between cost plus and fixed price. Can you walk us through that? Sure. So what's happening to me a lot is recently in particular is I'm working with designers or architects that are really, they function and behave much more like a designer uh, in the sense that things are not, things are fluid. Let's just say it that way. Uh, so, there, and there's a lot of decisions that aren't necessarily made and there's a lot of decisions that and as a result, what I'm starting out with is more of like a budget estimate for a project. And then in essence, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the project We're we're moving forward. So as not to stop the whole process. Um, it, it's certainly not for every client. I mean, I would certainly strongly caution against in some respects, because unless the clients have the ability, have the means and the mental toughness for this, um, as they see escalation, it certainly could cause huge problems. Um, a recent project that we're, that we're going to finish out sometime this summer, it started out as a $750,000, $800,000 budget estimate. That's what the owner was willing to invest. And over the course of the project, the, the project will, will probably close out somewhere around 3.5 million. So, wow. yeah, so there has been, and this is the second project that I've worked on. It's this uh, New York city based architect. It's the second project I've worked on with them. So we have a pretty good, um, we have a pretty good sense, right. Of, of what we're, um, of working together, how I work, how she works. I know that the, the it's going to be very collaborative, uh, meaning she doesn't really iron out her ideas fully. And so we're going to have to help get there and we're going to have to provide, you know, 
like we went through the the the, the person door going into the garage um she wanted a thing to be three foot six by seven foot six you know so at the end of the day i found a door a steel door but she wasn't wild about the price <laughs> so you know we we fast forward we ended up being at a 307 outdoor um, that uh let's say i think it was a gelled when smooth star that we ended up with uh full light glass uh, but that's the kind of thing where we're we're moving the, the, the there's there's no way you could have a fixed price for this this project right uh, so it does require a little more management in the moment, which is, I uh, can be a little painful from time to time, <laughs> but uh, it's hard. It's hard to, it, it, I've kind of sort of figured that this is, this seems to be, if this was one or two arch architects or designers, I probably would find others, but I'm finding most to be less that way. So I've just figured out a way to embrace it and move forward. Yeah. Well, I love exploring the topic of cost plus versus fixed price. We're always talking about it on the podcast. And it's it's like I've, I've come to the conclusion that there is no right method. It depends on the builder, depends on the client, depends on the project. Yes. We're largely a fixed price builder, but we're going to have to do a few cost plus contracts coming up just because they sure. are... <laughs> so over the top yeah. yeah and and then we're also doing so the cool thing one nice thing about fixed price is that it's infinitely uh infinitely easier to manage editable <laughs> yes that there's that but it's also infinitely editable insofar as anything that you don't want to fix, you can just set as an allowance so that it floats. So for instance, we have a few fixed price um, contracts coming up and with the volatility in the lumber market, we're actually gonna set lumber as an allowance and explain wow. that to the clients that, listen, we, we cannot take, you know, we're, we're willing to stand behind and fix everything else, but the volatility of lumber right now, we can't fix it because yeah. there's too much uncertainty. And so the nice thing is, you know, every, with every allowance you include in a fixed price, it kind of becomes a little more, <laughs> a little more cost plus, but you still retain the benefit of uh, the nature of a fixed price contract, which is the things that are fixed. You don't have to deal with the administrative thing of, you know, dealing with receipts and, and arguing or not arguing, but kind of going back and forth with clients and having them comb over everything with a fine yeah, tooth yeah for, for when i'm when i'm doing this this process i in fact recently i said to them i said you're you are welcome i have all the documentation i have all the receipts i have all the hours everything is recorded i i'm not going to give it all to you but if you want to see some of it i will share it and so the owner a couple different items he I wouldn't say he took issue, but he did a few spot checks here and there um, and drilled down on a few items just to kind of check my hand. And, you know, I, I played, I, I, I gave him all the information and once he had it, he was fine. Um, because no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, go down that road. It's that, that becomes a battle, as you say. Yeah. And I still believe that the best solution with, uh, with fixed price or, 
cost plus thing I always tell people to do is convince that your clients to include an owner's contingency in the, in the budget. I started doing this five years ago and for me, it's been a lifesaver. So we figure out what the budget is and even on fixed price contracts, we'll throw in an, an owner's contingency almost as like an allowance item. And all that does is it takes the pressure Right. Off the off the project and the client, because usually when things go south, it's because money and clients have to come out of pocket to write uh, write checks that they weren't anticipating and weren't in the budget. So if you have this owner's contingency, if they're financing it now, they don't have to. It, it's in the construction budget, so they don't have to worry about um, uh, about coming out of pocket for anything that goes over, or if they want to spend extra money on a chandelier or whatever. Uh, and then on the other side of things um if it's if you've got a fixed price contract and and you're using it to just cover allowances it's just uh it's like it just takes a lot of pressure if it's like uh you got a valve that's just you know at uh at high pressure when you're dealing with Mm -hmm. with budget situation it's just a little bit of a release (laughs) that's all it is and it's amazing how much benefit we and our clients have gotten out of that. So that's a, yeah, that's a tip yeah. that I recommend to everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know we're bumping up against our time here, but yes. you, uh, you got all kinds of good info to share with us. Anything that we're missing, anything else to, to touch on before we wrap this up? Any other ideas or systems that you guys really enjoy or, or uh, would like to share with the audience? I, I think the to kind of maybe just circle back is more of a recap. I think, you know, we we were talking, you know, earlier before we started started this, we we talked about systems, right? And we talked we talked about the the work scope agreement, and we've talked about structure, and we've talked about how we do our contracts. I, I think the biggest thing to do here is, and what took me a while was implementation. So you can read all the books, you can have all the tips, you can have the secrets. But just to uh, pick a few things and start making some progress forward, not to grab everything at once. Uh, this is a this is a process. This is a journey. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, I know for me, the whole uh, I fully embraced and was completely behind charging for estimates and it took me a while to implement it because I had to figure out how to sell it. And that took me a little bit of time. And one of the things that I figured out partially, well, for me at least, was I had to have the structure behind me to have the posture to sell that. And it became easier as I was able, you know, as your, your, you know, your marketing presence, your, your internet presence, the work that you've done, as these things start to, uh, you know, tell their own story, it makes some things a little bit easier. And then just really committing yourself, uh, holding yourself accountable is probably the, the next thing. Really holding yourself accountable to these these changes and realizing that, you know, it, it, it's, it starts with us as the business owner, as the leader to, to do these things and to implement these things. Yeah, that's excellent advice to focus on the implementation and not overload yourself like what you said. Pick one or two things to focus on at a time and execute on those make sure you um 
you actually truly implement them because you can <laughs> you can easily overload your team. I remember when I was early in the business, I, we would like go to conferences and stuff, or we'd sit down with consultants and we'd come back after one or two days with just pages and pages of amazing ideas and systems. And we'd sit down in our next staff or team meeting and just start rattling off all this stuff. And I, we'd get frustrated because we'd be looking around at, at our team. Everybody just be glossy eyed. We're like, what's mm-hmm. wrong with y'all? Like, look at all this stuff. Let's get to it. <laughs> that's not that's the opposite of the way you do it. You know, you, you, we always have a probably bigger bucket list of ideas we want to implement than we can get to. And that's just the nature of this business. So you got to pick one or two, maybe um, quarterly priorities even, and really focus on making big progress on that priority over the course of a quarter. Next quarter, you can pick one or two others, but you know, you get too many and they're not really priorities. I think it was uh, in a seminar, as you're saying, I think it was Kyle Hunt that, uh, that said uh, to enjoy the journey. So yeah. it's easy to become very frustrated and almost disillusioned to a degree regarding the things that you're not doing. And you can get so tied up in, or you get so tied up in the business that you cease enjoying the journey. So there's, that kind of stuck with me as something to, uh, to look to and, enjoy the process even though it's frustrating amen that's that's the truth enjoy the journey as i tell our team a lot we uh we are paid to solve problems as builders and contractors it is if we are not expecting to have new problems arise every day we're fooling ourselves and our job is to solve problems and to have strong systems and plans to minimize the amount, but know that uh, that's all you can do. You can minimize and the the rest is, it's that's part of the job. That's what we get paid for. If it was easy uh, and there was nothing to troubleshoot, then we wouldn't have any work. Absolutely right. <laughs> well, Kyle, this, this has been wonderful. Why don't you share with us where we can find you online? So um, our, our website is uh, ndccontracting.com or New Dimension Construction, and we're based out of Millbrook, New York. Wonderful. All right. Well, this was a pleasure to visit with you, and I'm sure our audience will feel the same. Thank you for your, uh, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Nice, nice talking with you, Jared.